Father, we, as we start off the study again tonight, we, uh, we just want to stop and uh, let you speak to our hearts and relax us and calm us and prepare us for what it is you want us to see and to hear. Uh, Lord, tonight we're going to cover a lot of scriptures and a lot of different angles of dealing with chapter 14, but uh, as I prayed through this and as you spoke to me about how, we believe, how I believe you want me to go about this, uh, the big thing that kept coming out, Lord, was the sense of if the church would truly grasp this, the the joy and the freedom, the fact that we'd be people people would want to be around, uh, how you could uh, draw more people that in that way. So, Father, I just pray that tonight as we look at Paul's dealing with the issue of the church disagreeing on disputable matters, Father, help us to hear you speak to our hearts tonight and get us ready for what it would mean and how it would apply to our lives. May we be willing tonight to have you relax us in the fact that as you're going to show us in your word, you're going to be able to get everybody where they need to get so we don't have to see it as our job. Help us to just listen to you speak to us tonight about where we are and what you would have us do or not do. And I pray by the end of tonight, Lord, that we could actually... Feel comfortable even more in each other's presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to actually read to you the entire chapter because even though we're going to break it down into sections like I typically do, um, I just really think that we need to uh, hear the whole thing just in case some haven't read it. And if you have, it's okay. It's going to be good for you to have a refresher here. Because there's a, there's a continuing theme throughout this whole chapter that just Paul comes at it over and over and over from many different angles. And he starts off by saying, Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand. For the Lord is able to make him stand. Now one man considers one day more sacred than another, and another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains also does, to the Lord, does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, with that in mind, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord, Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because he is eat his eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. Now, before we go into breaking this down, I want to ask you a question. Uh, does it appear that Paul was dealing with a specific issue in the church in Rome? Yes, it appears that way. <laughs> yeah, it's obvious. This all of a sudden seems so out of the blue from where we've been going in our study of Romans. It's pretty clear that Paul was dealing with some things that were happening in the church in Rome that he knew about, and he wanted to deal with them before, you know. And so what I want you to hear, though, is this is dealing with a specific issue, but I am so glad this chapter is in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Having been a pastor for many years, I thank God for this chapter. Because honestly, I have used this chapter so many times in talking with people and trying to counsel them or whatever because of the fact that if we're willing to take our head out of the sand, one of the problems with the church today is is everybody's telling everybody else how they ought to live their lives. And judging each other whether or not they watched this movie and they shouldn't have watched that movie or they you listen to that kind of music, I can't believe it. I remember sitting one time when I was a, a seminary student and uh, a bunch of the singles at this one church I was at went to lunch afterwards. And this one guy who was sharing his heart with us after church at this restaurant about how this girl that he, uh, he really was in love with broke up with him and how he was so depressed he got in his Volkswagen Beetle and he drove... I dated myself a little bit here. He drove uh, around all night listening to REO Speedwagon just to get over her leaving him. And that worked. As he shared, <laughs> as he shared this, and he's pouring his heart out to his friends. This one girl turns to him and says, "Does REO Speedwagon glorify God?" And it absolutely killed the whole purpose. And this guy didn't want to talk anymore. Here he was, just sharing his heart. He wasn't asking for, do you think I should have listened to this music or not? He was just telling us a story. And this girl, serious as anything, said, does Ariel Speedwagon glorify God? And immediately she just turned into judgment of, you shouldn't even have been listening to that music. And it hurt this man so deeply. I remember sitting there going, wow, that was edifying, you know? And so without realizing it, we all have strong opinions. Do we not? Hopefully you do. Hopefully you believe what you believe for a reason. We have a tendency to think, though, that since I believe it so strongly, you must too if you're going to be as good a Christian as me. Mm-hmm. And there's a tendency in Christian that when God does something very powerful in our life, maybe it's the fact that He sets you free uh, from some sin area in your life, and now you see someone else still in that area. And oh man, if you could only be stopping what you're doing, you could be as free as me. Let's just say, for example, hypothetically, that, that uh, um, God tells you to not eat lunch on Wednesdays, but to fast every Wednesday. And to just take that time of lunch and take that hour in prayer. Would God bless you during that time if he, he chose, led you to do that? Yes, but the tendency will be, really, you've you got to stop eating lunch on Wednesdays. Because God's doing such, you know what I'm saying? Immediately you start to think, what he did for me is so powerful... 
You have to be doing, it's our instinct, and we're going to get into in our study a little bit later on why that is. But I just want you to understand, this whole chapter is going to be dealing with the tendency in Christendom for us to be telling other people how they ought to live their lives. So we're going to get into that. Now, before we even get back to Romans 14, I want us to go to some other scriptures that are kind of set the stage for us to help us interpret this passage. So go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And somebody wanted to read us good and loud for the people on the web there. Uh, James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, here is James is dealing with slandering one another. What would, how would you describe that? What would, how, how do we slander one another? This doesn't appear that we're actually talking to somebody as much as what? Gossip. Gossip. Mm-hmm. Talking about somebody. Can you believe that Chris listened to Ario Speedwagon? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That kind of a thing. But why does James say that it's wrong when we do that, when we judge others? It's putting yourself above somebody else. Putting yourself above somebody it's else. We put ourselves in the seat of Christ. He's who, our only judge. Right. And who's the one who wrote the law? Christ. Christ. There's only one lawgiver. And when we set ourselves up as a judge, we now set ourselves up as above the law even. Because we're now determining how the law is to be meted. I mean, isn't that what the judges do? The judges take the law and they determine how to interpret it or how to apply it. And so, now get, stick with me. Don't, don't run ahead of me because some of you are saying, well, wait, doesn't the Bible say the judging? We're going to get there. There is going to be a proper time and a proper way to make judgments. Okay, we're going to get to that in just a little bit. Right now, let me lay the foundation. James says that when you judge each other, and you determine whether or not you think people are living as they ought, you're making yourself a judge. And there's only one. There's only one. Okay? And gossip is a tendency. We have a tendency to all do it. We really do. Whether we realize it or not. Any idea why we want to tell somebody else how bad the other person is? It builds ourselves up. Yeah. It, 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 you, right. you think it, yeah, it's, it makes you feel better. I mean, you, those of you have had more than one kid, if you correct them, what's their first response? But so-and-so. But the other one did. The disciples did. Yo, yes. What about him? How about Mary? How about Adam and Eve? Oh, yeah. Um, you know? <laughs> it's, it's, it's in us. We think by pointing out somebody else's mistakes, you know, it's like you say, hey, you know, I, me and Neil went golfing. You know, and I feel like I've had a bad round, you know, and you say, well, did you shoot, Jim? I'll say, oh, I shot an 82, but Neil shot a 90. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we, have a, we have a tendency to do that, don't we? It's like, I don't feel so good about my score, but hey, it's better than, you know, kind of a thing. And so I just want you to realize what's, 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 what's at the root of what's really going on, all right? Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Somebody else want to read verses 22 through 26. 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 22 through 26. Mm-hmm. Now 
flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Now, here at the beginning of this passage, Paul's saying to Timothy, and he's writing to all of us, and saying to flee the evil desires of the youth, but to pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace with, with those who also call on the Lord out of a pure heart. In other words, why don't you take some people with you as you do this? What we tend to do when we start pointing out each other's faults is we tend to leave them behind as we go forward in our righteousness and our good life and how, how much we're growing in the Lord and how much they're sinning. Here he said, bring them with you. Well, is it also those who call on the Lord from a pure heart? It's the brethren. Exactly. If you look at the armor of God, there's no covering for the back, and yet we get stabbed repeatedly from our own brethren. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, 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 and we'll get to that in a little bit more, but I'll just quickly say, a lot of times when they do that, they think they're serving God. Mm-hmm. They think they're you know defending truth and you know standing up for the word and these types of things. And, and uh, But look at what he goes on to say. He says, the Lord's servant must not what? Must not quarrel or be quarrelsome. How often have we watched in Bible studies or in Christian settings have the people pull this scripture and then that person pulls out this scripture and then this person pulls out that scripture and then this person pulls out this scripture to win the argument? Have we not? Yet all along the scripture has been very, very clear that the Lord's servant must not be that way. Gently share what it is you believe the word is saying, but then trust that, hey, good to see you. Trust that, that, uh, um, who's going to bring them to an understanding of the truth? Christ. That God will do it, right? Hello, Tom and Laurel. Good to see you. So we're, we're, we're studying Romans 14 right now, but we're also right now in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22 through 26. But I want you to take a look closely at that because that's a very important thing. It's not saying that you shouldn't share what you believe, but you need to do it in a way in which you're gently sharing. Here's what I see. And then if they're going to get it or not, needs to be left up to the Lord. We tend to think that we have to win the argument. And too many people use scripture in that manner. And you got to be careful of that because isn't that exactly what Satan did? When Jesus was being tempted by Satan there in the wilderness? I mean, Satan quoted Psalm 91. So there's a danger of just using scripture to prove your point. We look for a proof text. And if any of you have walked long enough with the Lord, you know that one verse all by itself can sure be taken out of context and misunderstood. You need to know the whole of Scripture to be able to bring the full meaning of what's really going on here. Okay? Um, so, alright. Let's go to one more passage, then we'll start breaking down Romans 14. Go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, listen to verses 34 and 35. Jesus is speaking to his disciples in the upper room and he says, A new command I give you, 
Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, don't just read it quick. There, there's, there's something deep going on here. And uh, first of all, I want to clarify something for you that many of you misunderstood over the years, and I have as well. Because recently God really opened my eyes to this. Um, whenever Jesus says, whenever whoever obeys my commands, we tend to look at it as all his rules and his regulations. But actually, if you were to take the time and do a study, and we're not going to now because of so much we've got to cover in Romans 14, but if you do a study of it, you'll find out that his command is to believe in him and to love each other. That is, whenever the scripture, Jesus says, whoever obeys my commands, he walks in my love and all this kind of stuff, it, it, you really do a study of that, you'll find out that his command, the command of God, is to believe in the Lord Jesus and to love each other. That is his command. So, but he says, a new command I give you now, we're to love each other in what way? As he loved us. Mm -hmm. As he loved us. Now, what does that mean? How does that manifest itself? Unconditionally. Mm -hmm. Unconditionally. Okay, keep going. That, that's true, but let's, let's help us out with that because we can say the word unconditionally, but none of us really know what that means. Sacrificially. Sacrificially. Okay, give me some. Give, keep going. Selfless. Mm -hmm. Putting Selfless. others before ourselves. Putting others before ourselves. Let's take it along the line of where we're going right now. Did Jesus always agree with everything the disciples were doing? No. Do you find him fixing all their problems? No. No. He waited until teachable moments and opportunities. He knew their hearts, he knew their minds, he knew their thoughts. Yet, he wouldn't correct them, if you will, until the time actually arose for it, that it was the time to teach them something about themselves. But, Jesus, if, if Jesus was fixing everything that needed to be fixed, he would have never had time to preach. And interestingly enough, when he sent his disciples out two by two to go preach the good news of the kingdom, they didn't even know what the kingdom was. Yet he trusted that in time they would, and the Father would still use them in their ineptness, and we tend to think that unless you're fully capable until you're really ready, God won't use you. Now we've got a loving Father who says, I'm going to finish what I started. And he works with babies. And he helps us become mature in time. But we have a tendency to start judging each other like, why aren't you as mature as I am? And yet all the signs showing our immaturity. Or judging ourselves. Or judging ourselves is a good point as well. Which is almost more detrimental in some cases. Now, give me an example of how you think we would maybe judge ourselves. We look at someone else who is much further along in their walk and we say, well, why can't I? Why aren't I doing it right? What's wrong with me? Why am I not getting it? Yeah. Alright, I think we're ready now for Romans 14. All that was to get us ready for Romans 14. As you're doing that, keep in mind, remember when John wrote the book of 1 John? He wrote to the children, I write to you young men, I write to you fathers. Any idea why he might have done that? Stages of life, stages of your walk. This is levels of maturity. So is it not possible that in a group of Christians, some are going to be younger in their walk, others are going to be a little bit further along, and others are going to be further along? The problem is those of us who think we're further along than we really are are the ones who tend to look at those who we think are below us and try to tell them how they ought to be living like us. When your kids were little, you didn't tell them about the birds and the bees right away, did you? 
That was for a different level of their maturity as, as a human being, if you will. In the walk with Jesus Christ, as you're about to see, look at verse, look, uh, verse uh, 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. God's going to get each of us where we need to be. Get that into your head. Rest in that fact. It's not your job. Now, God may use you along the way to encourage or to come alongside a brother or sister in Christ, but it is not your job to make them into the Christian they're supposed to be. Oh, wives, it's not your job to make your husband the Christian he's supposed to be. Husbands, it's not your job to make your wife the Christian she's supposed to be. You're to live it. You're to model it. But you're to let him get them where you need to be. Not where they need to be. So Paul says, accept him whose faith is weak. Call it immature. We hate that. It's not a bad word to be immature. We tend to look at that nowadays as a bad thing. Without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. By the way, there's a movement right now out there in Christendom that is trying to have Christians go back to the law of Moses. And they're, they're literally, and it's, it's growing rapidly because many people are, are getting sucked into it, partially because of the fact that God's doing what he's doing with the nation of Israel right now and what's going on. And as God's starting to draw the nation of Israel fully back to him and all this, there are Christians who are getting sucked into, well, you have to follow the law of Moses and, and the, the laws of the, the eating and the dietary laws and all this types of stuff. And there are movements, I mean, large movements, and you'll find people with very strong-sounding arguments about the fact of we shouldn't be eating shellfish and we shouldn't be eating pork. And, I mean, God wrote it so that why would it change? I mean, his, his, his views on homosexuality that he wrote in the book of Leviticus haven't changed. Why would his rules on eating change and all this kind of stuff? And they have strong-sounding arguments. And here Paul's dealing with that kind of a thing, and he says one's going to think eating vegetables is the way to do it. He said, those of you that think eating meat's okay, don't look down like you're better than this person who thinks eating vegetables is the only way to go. And those of you who think eating vegetables and that eating meat's a sin, don't you judge those who are eating meat. What's he, what, how would you paraphrase that? What, 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 what is Paul saying? God's going to work in each person's heart where he needs them to be. Yep. And in other words, leave them alone. Don't make it your business. Don't be self-righteous. Don't be self-righteous is right. When you think you're right and they're wrong. Well, especially since they're actually using food items. He's using food items to express this. That is, mm -hmm. like, unimportant uh, <laughs> to spiritual things. Right. Some people know that it is. Some people don't. So what I want you to do right now, if you don't mind marking in your Bibles is I'm going to show you three verses in this passage that all tie together. And if you get these three verses tied together, the whole passage will make sense. Okay? So the first one is in chapter 14, verse 5. The second half of verse 5. Where, where it says, Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Alright? Highlight that. Mark that. The second half of verse 5, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Then go to the second half of verse 14. If anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. Mark that one, highlight it. 
And go to verse 23, the last verse in the chapter. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that is not from faith, or not done from faith, is sin. <clears throat> if you grasp what Paul's saying here, it'll tie the whole passage together. What Paul's saying is, is that each of us need to be fully convinced that what we're doing is right by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God. We, if, if, if it's wrong in our eyes, it is wrong. Why? Because anything we don't do by full faith that we're following God is sin. Not this is sin or that is. No, anything you don't do fully trusting that God has approved it is sin. If you're not sure, don't do it. If someone is convinced that the Lord says it's alright, even if we are 100% sure they're wrong, we need to leave them to who? We need to leave them to God. Now, as we're going to get to in a little bit, there will be a time that the Spirit may lead us to share with them gently what the Word says. But whether they ever listen or not, not our job. Not our, and we shouldn't judge them. We should still come alongside of them. We should still reach out to them. But we should share what the Scripture says. So, as you try to determine in your own life whether or not what this is is or is right or wrong. You know, I, I, was, I was raised where we weren't allowed to play cards. Period. Because my grandmother and grandfather believed that they, you know, were, it was it was of the devil because of the fact that it had, you know, I guess a representative of Mary or whoever was on these face cards and stuff. I, I now, you had relatives like that as well. Now, I'll be honest with you, growing up, we list, we did play cards, but we never said anything about it when we visited, we visited grandmother. Because when we were, I remember as kids, our parents told us, don't, I know we had a lot of fun last night playing that game, don't tell that story. You know, because it wouldn't really have done them any good. Because in their minds, that they had been raised that it was of the devil. We just left it alone. But did that mean we didn't play? But no. You understand? And so there are going to be times that we're going to find things out about each other and go, oh, I can't believe they let it go. Let it go. All right. So now let's move on to the, the next section here in verses uh, 5 through 8. Paul says, one man considers one day more sacred than another, and, uh, and another man considers every day alike. Each should be fully convinced in his own mind. Well, what does this What does this remind you of? Sabbath. Yeah, Saturday. don't think people think the Sabbath is... Whatever day. Is, yeah. And the, what does it say? Each needs to be fully convinced in their own mind. Birthdays and Christmas. Birthdays and Christmas. Very good. There are. There are the, I, I know of. Yeah, I, I know of some people that you might even know, and you might even be surprised if I even told you which preacher in this area that you may know well and love doesn't celebrate Christmas. Thinks that it's wrong to celebrate Christmas. Easter is in their minds of the devil because it's from Ishtar, this pagan holiday, and all this kind of stuff. There are those out there who think those things are wrong. What does the Bible say? Each needs to be fully convinced in their own mind. Now, again, we're going to get through some scriptures that share. There are going to be times that God may open the door for you to share some things with somebody. Don't think it's your job to win the argument or to convince them. All right? He regards one day as special, does so to the Lord. He's doing it because he believes God, this is pleasing to God and he's doing it for God. He who eats meat eats to the Lord for he gives thanks to God. He who eats, abstains, does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God for none of us lives to himself alone. 
and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Again, I keep hearing what Paul said in the previous section, who are you to judge somebody else's servant? If you ever, hopefully, you were one of those ones that you noticed the, the, the neighbor kids doing something. Typically, you didn't correct them. Why not my kids? Now, my kids... I'll correct. You understand? There are those who have a tendency to think that it's their job to correct the neighbor's kids, too. Uh, there are those in the church who think it's their job to correct all the kids, and especially the preacher's kids, and you know, and that kind of stuff. But hopefully, hopefully, you are mature enough to realize, I will correct my child in this instance. There are other kids involved, but they're not my kids. Right? This is what Paul's teaching here. Y'all going to stand before God one day. Yes, I have a responsibility as a preacher and a teacher, as a shepherd. I have a responsibility to teach you, to live what I'm, what I'm teaching. But whether you ever listen or not, is not I'm not going to be held accountable for that. Now that's, that's new coming out of my mouth, because for years I used to think that if you didn't listen, it was my fault. I'll be honest with you, it, 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 I hated counseling, never liked counseling, because I wanted to fix it. And I knew what the truth was. All you had to do was do this. And people don't always want to do it. And I would counsel couples and the marriage wouldn't fix. And I felt like I had done something wrong. Because I felt like I was the one supposed to fix it. And finally God began to open my eyes and say, Jim, I never said you were responsible for them if they listened. Your job is to just share it. So, you're not pastors, in, in a sense. But at the same time, don't put the pressure on you whether or not they listen. Those of you who have kids that are older, I think you hopefully understand that by now, don't you? Or else you're going to have a really, really upset tummy. Because they don't always listen. Correct? Is it, and, and Satan's going to try to get in there and say, well, you should have done this, or you should have done that. Or maybe if you had only, and you start to feel guilty like it's your fault. It's not. Each one of us is going to stand before God. We just got to share the truth lovingly and keep loving them. And that's the whole point. I mean, you can share the truth and you can share the truth, but it's that in a gentle, loving way. And, and it's amazing how much better it's accepted that way than if you come across... Well, I think it's time for us to go and go down that road then because you just made a great transition and you didn't even realize it. Well, and when God tells us to. Exactly, and here's why. Here's what I'm saying. My wife keeps getting mad that I'm picking my dry skin off my nose, so whenever you see her he hitting me... He sunburned himself so bad. That's why she, that's why she well, keeps well, hitting well, me, so... He didn't wear sunscreen, and now he's peeling <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but when we but talked about that's right, it wasn't your right. responsibility. Who's listening on tape right now? That this commercial has been sponsored by Copper Tone. But no, when we talked earlier about not judging each other, immediately through many of our minds went, wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible say that we're supposed to, if we see our brother in fault? Go to Galatians chapter 6, 1. But you didn't real, maybe you didn't realize it, uh, Jeannie, but your, your, your transition was loving. Right. Right. It's, and it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. Galatians chapter 6. 
listen closely to how Paul puts it. He said, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. There's a lot here, so, so stick with me. He says, if you see your brother in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Now, he doesn't leave it to us to automatically assume whether or not we're spiritual. Because he knows there's a tendency in all of us to think, well, that's me. You know, I'm the one to do this. And he said, but no, no, but those of you that immediately heard that and think it's you, watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. We should be looking not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. We shouldn't say, well, I'm just going to live my life for Christ, and I'm not going to care about what anybody else does, and I'll have nothing to do with anybody else. The Bible's not teaching that at all. But he then goes on to say, if anyone thinks he's something, when he's nothing, you deceive yourself. Each one should test his own actions. Why am I doing this? Am I really trying to help? Or does it make me feel good to point out the fact that you're doing something that I don't do? Am I building myself up by doing this? Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. In other words, we're to be helping each other, yet at the same time we're all going to stand before God. So, are there going to be times that we're to share with our brother and our sister? Yes. Whether or not there's an area that needs work? Yes. yes, but it should only come after much prayer and self-examination and the Spirit of God saying, yes, I want you to say something. And even in the church body, did not God say, if your brother doesn't, then you take Somebody else with Somebody you. Somebody else. I actually yeah. preached on this this past Sunday at First Baptist Merritt Island. Uh, you're quoting from Matthew chapter 18, starting in verses 15 and following. But one of the things that I taught last week at Merritt Island was this. In the church, unfortunately, when we see our brother in a fault, because we really don't have biblical fellowship. Mm-hmm. See, biblical fellowship, if you look at the scriptures, is really getting to know each other. And I jokingly say whether or not we have, you know... 2% milk or, or, or whole milk or cat box need to be changed or not. And we're really getting to know each other by being in each other's homes. Uh, you can't get to a biblical definition of fellowship by having a bunch of cookies once a month on Sunday night in the fellowship hall. Amen. Actually, fellowship halls have hurt fellowship mm-hmm. because we think that's where it occurs. Uh, Ray, in all your travels uh, with the campus on Mission Credit, you know full well what biblical fellowship is because these are people that you lived with you got to know each other. You were in each other's home and all. What I want you to understand is this is what the Bible teaches. The problem is, because we don't have biblical fellowship in our churches, or we know where your pew is, and we know which parking spot is yours, and we know you by name, but we really don't know each other. We've not been in each other's homes. We think fellowship only happens in the church building, if you will. Because we don't have that, if we see each other in a fault, who do we go tell now? Pastor. We go tell the pastor. Because we think it's his job to go apply Matthew 18. Uh-uh. Actually, if there was biblical fellowship amongst us, and let's say me and Chris and, and Jim, when we had spent much time together and we hung out, and I'm in sin, the person who's going to see it, first of all, is who? one of the guys that knows me. They then are going to be able to come to me in love for the purpose of restoration to say, Jim, this isn't right. 
they've already proven they love me. If I go up to somebody in the church that I don't really know, I just know you, hey, hey your name's Neil, I guess, you know, hey, I see sin in your life, you're not going to hear love, you're going to hear judgment. Typically, that, typically that person's going to be, well, that's none of your business. But if we've proven biblical fellowship, when someone comes to me, I'm going to hear love. Now, Matthew 18 says, though, if I don't listen, what happens? They're to bring somebody else. Who should it be? It's not now the deacon, yes. which is what we do in the church. Bring the authoritative Gestapo to come deal with this person's sin. No, it should be someone else like Jim from the small group or Ed or, or Ken. You know what I'm saying? These guys that we have spent much time together, these are the ones that are going to come. Now, if, according to Matthew 18, I don't listen, you bring him before the church, and 1 Corinthians 5 talks about expelling the immoral brother. We call it church discipline, where they can't be a part of the church. Go get your fill of whatever you want to do, then run with Satan, go ahead. But here's the thing. Nowadays, because there hasn't been real biblical fellowship, if a church even said, you can't worship here anymore, that's all they said is, you can't worship here anymore. No big deal. I'll just go to another church down the street. We, we, we can change churches. It's not that big of a deal. But if we had real biblical fellowship, we were hanging out and watching the games on his big screen TV on Mondays and maybe meeting for Bible study at a breakfast place, you know, on Tuesdays and Wednesdays we're meeting together at the church or maybe we hit a golf ball on Fridays. And then you say to me, Jim, we've tried to get you to stop this affair or whatever it is that is the sin in the life. And I continue to say no. They then are to break fellowship with me. It's more than I just can't worship at the same church building anymore. It is, we're going to be watching the the ball game Monday night and you can't come. Wait a minute. Are we going to play golf on Friday? You know, actually, we will, but you can't. Do you see the difference? Yes. This has now affected my life. But the problem is, we don't have this level of fellowship. So we're sitting here trying to do a, a Bible study on how to help people in their sin or to make biblical, spirit-led judgments. The problem is, we haven't gotten to that level with each other, so this whole study for years has been a waste of our time. And so we've turned it into, well, I guess the only one that can really do it is the pastor or the deacon. And it's because we haven't had biblical fellowship. So, before you start making yourself the corrector of everybody around you, why don't you get to know some people in love? And then, in time, those opportunities will arise, and that's where real restoration and fellowship will occur. And it manifests strongly, too, in families. Yes. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Hey, and if Jesus tarries, which I'm not so sure he's gonna, but if Jesus tarries, if you don't get a good small group, something like this, but even as good as this is, much we look, look forward to coming together once a week, this isn't biblical fellowship, folks. I'm sorry. It's not. We enjoy having something to eat ahead of time, and we hang around and talk afterwards, but this isn't biblical fellowship. It's got to go beyond this. You do a study of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and you'll see how they met every day. Every day in the temple courts in each other's homes. They ate together. They took the Lord's Supper together to remind themselves of why they were together. They prayed together. They spent time together all the time. Too many distractions today. It distracts us from fellowshipping. We, we allow that, and, and I'm going to say something that some of you may understand and may, some of you may not. But I think one of the things that has hurt biblical fellowship and hurt what we've just talked about has been the church and its programs. Everything becomes centered around the church. And if you even try to have something outside those walls, people get upset because you're supposed to be here. And it, you can't have this kind of fellowship there. I'll leave that at that.
Let's go to another passage that deals with us. Go to Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Now, at the very end of this section, there's something very, very deep. And I'm going to see if anybody can grasp it. I just want to judge your level of maturity. All right, so, but... Um, <laughs> I might have a position to do that. I'm sitting in the big chair, aren't I, Rita? Doesn't that work? No, you're right. Good question. <laughs> Matthew chapter 7. Listen to what, what Jesus is saying here. He says, Do not judge, for you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge, others will be judged. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people love to quote this. And, and, and I've heard this said, and I think it's really true. It used to be the most often quoted verse was John 3.16. Nowadays, in this age of tolerance, which they've totally changed the meaning of tolerance, the most often quoted verse by Christians and non-Christians is this verse. Judge not, lest you be judged. But they don't keep reading. Because in the same passage where Jesus says, don't judge or you'll be judged, he then says, here's how to judge. Alright, so take a look. For in the same way in which you judge others, you'll be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Alright? Here, as we see from the whole of Scripture, Jesus is not saying that we're not to ever say to our brother or sister there's an area that needs work. But we, according to Galatians 6.1, need to do what first? Examine ourselves. Examine ourselves. Take the plank out of our eye for a while, if you will. Or let God or, examine us. Because exactly. we will not examine ourselves correctly. That's, that's a good point. <laughs> Jim? Yes. Now, in this, are we talking about Christian to Christian, or Christians to non-Christians, or Christian well, to Christian, hopefully the reason why you would ever correct is for the purpose of edification. When you talk about judging non-Christians, my attitude is this. Apart from Christ, they're, they're doing the best they can. Right. Yeah. We shouldn't. We get all mad at these people living the way they live, and how could they be so heathenish? And they hey, they're doing the best they can because they don't have any help. So in and of itself, why should we? Hopefully, we know what's right and what's wrong, and what's sin and what's not. But man, let's not judge them to the point of what's wrong with you. What's wrong with them is they have no help, and they're doing the best they can. Why are we surprised when when lost people act like lost people? Amen. Yeah. And, but but we want to again build ourselves up. I'm, I, I thought I'd touch on it earlier, but I, I, later, but I'll touch on it now. We all have a tendency to want to tell God how to run His world. Do we not? I mean, let's be honest. We all, as part of the fall, we all want to tell God how to run His show. It's not that easy to do. We can complain and all, but God's going to win. Alright? So who do we go after next? His people. His image. Yeah. It's very, this will help you understand what's really going on in there is, you know, I, I can't really tell God how to do it. I can complain all I want. But I really can't tell God how to do it. But I can tell others. Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers. We're not fighting against ourselves. We put our, we're standing in front of each other, but we're not the enemy. Right. We have a tendency to want to play God with other people. 
Look at verse, uh, verse um, sorry, 6 here. It says, Don't give the dogs what is sacred, and don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet, and then turn and tear you to pieces. Why is this here in this section on judging or taking the plank out of your own eye and then helping your brother with the sawdust in theirs? Any idea what this means? I think that's talking about not, what you were talking about, not judging non-believers because it's it's going to be meaningless to them. It's going to be worthless. Well, That's a big part of it. And they're going to turn around and they're going to shred you because you are not where you're supposed to be and they're going to end up tearing down your... Satan's going to use it to tear you down rather than build you up as Christ would have it. That's partially of it too. There's more. The context of this is someone who... Hmm has an issue themselves or hypocritical according to verse 5 and so in order to even see that in ourselves God has to show that to us and if he's rebuking us then we shouldn't take that and transmit it out or we should turn it back to ourselves first and to me that's what that says that's, that's, that, there's the a, there's all of that is God involved to ourselves shouldn't be Let's take from where he just left off. What, Go ahead. What I'm thinking is, unless the Holy Spirit's drawing this person to him, it doesn't matter what we say and what our opinion is. Very good. They should be in their life. We're getting there. If the Spirit's not drawing them. Right. They're not right. hearing it. So are you saying then that there's going to be times when God tells you to share and times when he doesn't? Oh, he tells you not to? Do you see it? Yeah. Do you see that in the context here? But there's going to be times. You're right. Well, I think the other half of it is that before God's probably going to have us say something to someone else, He's going to make sure it's clear up in ourselves. Well, and that person may be the one who tells us the weakness in us. That's true. And that's the tearing you apart, tear you to pieces. Because let me tell you, if somebody else sees that log and you're they're defensive, they're going to be trying to rip it out, not the easy way. <laughs> and there are going to be times when the Spirit of God is going to tell you, yeah, you have wisdom. Yeah, you have truth. Yeah, you have knowledge. Don't share it. They're not ready. Don't say a word. They won't even hear it. It will do damage. Mm -hmm. Right. How could the truth ever do damage? Oh, it could. That's where the church is today with the rest of the world, to a large degree. I mean, how does the non-believer in general stereotype here, how does the stereotypical non-believer view the Christian church? Judgmental, uh, you know, Intolerant. intolerant. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what is... Well, and Christ said, if the door hasn't been opened to you, then turn around and shake the dust from your feet. So if that isn't open to you, get away. <laughs> Let me ask you a question as we get back to Romans 14 now. Could worship styles be a disputable matter? Oh, Absolutely. Yes. Could music preferences Absolutely. be a disputable matter? Absolutely. How's the church doing on that right now? Not real well Aren't we setting ourselves up in our camps and judging the others? Seems like it's not as noisy as it was a few years ago. Well, maybe it's because I left. <laughs> the whole the thing the thing I want you to realize is there's a tendency for us to we have strong preferences of what kind of music we like and what we think is biblical or what we think is not biblical. But we tend to attack each other about it instead of. Working with it or leaving it to God, kind of a thing. 
a lot of other issues. How oh, we, heavens, yes. How what we wear to church, or oh, yeah. do we participate in various boycotts that come down the pipe, or do we not, or what, you know, you can just name it. What do we eat? That that's that's in there too. Mm-hmm. The very example that Paul's using is still still there. Do you imbibe? Do you drink alcohol or not? All those things we are in the church too often tearing each other up over these disputable matters. Real quickly before we get to back to chapter 14, let me also point out we, we see much of what we do and don't do and eat and don't eat and watch and don't watch. It, it's determined actually, unfortunately, by what we perceive man to think instead of God. Look at what Paul's saying here. We do what we do, we do what we do, we need to be doing it before God. That's where you lived before. But if you're honest, and, and, and I've got a question for you if you're having trouble with this one to help you understand a little more. But if you're honest with yourself, most of us, if not all of us, what really determines what we eat, what we do, what we watch, is what man will think, not God. If you don't agree with that, let me just ask you a simple question. Are you a different person when other people aren't watching? Are there some things that you might watch when you know no one will know what you watched? Are some things that you might actually do when you know no one else will know? Because most of us are living our lives for man's approval, not God's approval. So just take some time to kind of meditate on that one and chew on that one later on. As you Don't just take this lesson as a time to learn, you know, okay, I did chapter 14. Take some time to have God really begin to speak to you on, not only are you judging others and that kind of stuff, but... Am I doing what God would approve? Am I doing it because of man, or am I doing it because of God? Because here, Paul says, we need to do whatever we do, fully convinced in our own mind. If we think it's wrong, it's wrong. Anything we don't do by faith is sin. You need to be living your life so that you know God is pleased. Whether man is or not. And earlier in Romans, and I'm horrible with addresses, he told us, there's no condemnation for those, for Romans those who are in Christ. Christ. Yeah, for those who are in Christ. There's no, man does not judge me. And yet I, I like that God encourages you that if this is a discipline in your life and you believe that this is this should be, that you go with that. You do that because that is right for you. You keep doing it until God tells you different. And if he doesn't tell you different, don't you change for man. And, and I, I, and I just find that wonderful because I know in my own life, if I don't follow certain disciplines that I think are good and right for me, then I see other areas begin to mm-hmm. fall. Mm-hmm. And I see the importance of that because that is exactly what God is telling you. That's important to you. You do that before Him because you'll. I mean, because I. So are you saying that God might actually say it's okay for someone to do one thing and not okay <laughs> for someone else? Yep. Is that what you just said? Yes. I, then you're correct. Freedom. That is exactly. Well, we, we don't like that. We want that all to fit into the nice little box. Go ahead, Laura. I want to give you an example. Uh, my parents had another couple that they were close friends with. Well, actually, there were four of them, and they would all go out to dinner together periodically. There was one couple in that group who were very strong Archdale Baptist, no drinking. My parents liked to have a cocktail before dinner, so they would have something at home, 
and then they would go out and not order any alcohol at the table. And some of the, there was another couple with them who were Catholic and they would have wine. But anyway, but because they knew that my parents were Baptists, it, it would have offended this other couple. And so to save their feelings and to not hurt them, they would drink in private and then go out and have And that's where Paul goes next. That's exactly where Paul goes next. Go on to verse uh, 9. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he, he, one more time, he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we'll all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, we're not going to break this passage, this section down anymore. That's pretty clear, is it not? Yeah. Let's move on to verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way, which is exactly what you just illustrated. Alright? As one who is in the Lord Jesus, Paul says, I'm fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. Now, who is Paul? He's an apostle. He's a Jew. He's an authority in the church, was he not? You know, designated as an apostle in this sense. Paul said it's okay. Is that good? Do it because Paul said it? No. Paul even clarified that himself. Paul clarified himself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is. Why? Because Paul says, I don't want you doing it because I said it's okay. I want you doing it because God has told you it's okay. Now, there's nothing wrong with knowing this verse if someone tells you, well, I can't believe that you eat pork because the Mosaic Law is still the Mosaic Law. Well, I could take them here to Romans chapter 14, verse 14, how Paul said he's fully convinced that everything is all right. I could take him to Mark where Jesus declared all foods clean. It literally says that. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. But according to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, I'm to do it not in a quarreling manner to win the argument, but to say, here's how I see it. If, God showed me. Exactly. Exactly. If you see it a different way, you may, I will be in sin if I tell you to do something different than what you believe God is telling you to do. Acts chapter 10, verse 15 is another place where we could take them where the sheet comes down and says what I call clean, don't call unclean. Alright, if your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. In other words, I know what I'm doing is okay. I don't care what they think. I know of young Christians who have certain issues that they struggle with and they really feel like God said it was wrong. And then they see this brother or sister in Christ go, well, I don't think it's wrong. And it... We used to always, when I was in seminary, we used to have this running joke. Because the guy, I was living in single dorm at the, my first year before I got married and Becky and I had moved into a fine trailer. And, um, but uh, but um, when we lived in the singles dorm, whenever a guy would do something that we would consider inappropriate, one of the guys would go, whoop, whoop, oh, and pretend like we fell. You know, kind of a thing. Because it was our way of joking of saying, ooh, that's a little on the edge of whether or not I think that's appropriate. But we'd always say it caused me to fall, you know, by, by, by doing that sort of thing. 
But what he's simply saying here is, is keep in mind the people around you as you live and enjoy your freedom. Mm-hmm. Don't have a haughty attitude that says, I don't care. It's esteeming someone else more than yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, can we take that verse and say that everybody should be doing it my way? Because if they could really esteemed me, they would let me have my preferences. No. That's not what it's saying either. Because then you're esteeming yourself higher than everyone. Where I think really the personal relationship with the Lord comes into play. Because you have a faith of your own at that point. Too many people depend on it from another person. It can be the person in the pulpit or from what someone else has told them is right and wrong. And that circumvents that personal relationship. That personal relationship will convict you or convict me of one thing and you of another. And uh, I think that personal relationship really should be our guideline, not what someone else tells us. And and Ken, you're exactly right, because I'm going to tell you something, guys. If you you think, well, Jim's a great teacher and whatever Jim says, let me just tell you, I'm embarrassed to think of how many times over the years I've looked back and realized I taught something incorrect. I remember one of the most famous ones in my mind was when I was youth pastor at First Baptist in the Atlantic, I was preaching a message that I was so proud of. I was preaching from Matthew 28 and how Jesus, this is, you know, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And my whole theme of the message was, he's about to ascend up to heaven. He's right there waiting to ascend to heaven. These are his last words. Don't you think someone's last words would be very important? Therefore, Jesus' last words were, and then a few years down the road I realized, wait a minute, he said Matthew 28 in Galilee. That's up north by the lake. He ascended from the Mount of Olives, which is down in Judea. This wasn't his last words. His last words were in Acts chapter 1. My whole sermon was on, these are his last words right before he ascended, and I wasn't even in the right geographical area. Interestingly enough, no one made any comment. Either one, they had no clue, or two, they were kind and just said, he'll get there one day, you know, kind of a thing. But... So don't ever, like you said, take, well, this preacher I respect says this, so that's what I believe. Or maybe they just heard what God thought was important for them. Exactly. Thank God that he can take people like me and still still get his stuff done. Well, you know what? I like it, Jim, that you say, so whatever it is, well, this has changed my life. You know what? When you hear somebody say that, and they're not saying, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you know, to you, they just say, and this changed my life. Well, we're more apt to say, Wow, let's find that. Let's look. Let's search that out because that's that makes the difference more than you're telling me that I need to change my life. Yeah, he mentions the Bereans in here, and they they helped. They, that's right. They didn't. They, really true. And they, they didn't take Paul's word for it. And Paul said, "I'm so proud of those Bereans. They examined everything he said according to the scriptures." But I'm about to hit, the, I think, the most important section of this whole chapter, and actually probably one of the most important sections of all of Romans, and it's missed here in something Paul says in Romans 14, especially for those of us who have grown up under legalism. And listen to what he says here in verse 16. He said, Don't allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, it's not a matter of right and wrong, rules and regulations. It's a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. I want to say that again. Listen to what he says here. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. 
but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by man. But how many of us have been duped by the enemy to think if we live it right, God will be pleased? What he's looking for, what's his command? We said it earlier. Love. To love him. Believe in him and love him and love others. If you do that, you're fine in the eyes of God. It even comes back to, if we do the first one, we can't do the second one. Right. Until we do the first one. Mm-hmm. So the kingdom, but for years, I'll be honest with you, I've grown under legalism to the point that if I didn't do it right, God was going to get me. And I knew I was going to go to heaven, but he was going to be just frowning the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're only here because of my grace. But you just didn't do it as good as I'd like you to. And I have not really, until the last few years, really come to understand joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. And you know what it is? It's because I've stopped trying to get better. I believe that He's going to finish what He started. I believe He's going to do it. And He is, as I've stopped trying to help Him. All of a sudden, His Word has come alive to me. And and all of a sudden, what it means to actually rest in Him is happening. But I had to stop trying to... Oh, and by the way, when I try to do it all right, I'm also looking whether or not else is working as hard as me. That's why we tend to judge each other. We think we're under God's legalism. Right. You're going to find you're going to be miserable. So you want others to be miserable as you are. You know, I'm working real hard to be pleasing. How come? How come Ken gets to wear shorts to church and I have to wear a tie? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, mean, I, I know for years, I'm so worried about what people think and how I dress and did I act a certain way. And it's just sad what happens in our churches over the years and. How many people judged Becky on how she was dressed each Sunday and whether or not she was wearing her hair the right way? And I mean, you think I'm joking. No. People literally will come and tell her whether or not her hair was done right on Sunday. Mm-hmm. You, want, you want to tell a quick story? You can. <laughs> I had a, a sweet older lady come to me one Sunday morning and, and I had, it was hot, it was July, I think, at the Atlantic, and I had put my hair up with a clip and she came to me and she said, oh, I just love your hair. You, it's so nice when you wear it up because when you wear it up, you look as dignified as your husband. <laughs> <laughs> and when you don't, you just look like a teenager. <laughs> she was just, just like that. And I just, it was like, she gave me a nice compliment and then she just really <laughs> cut it And down. it goes back to the fellowship. <laughs> The dignified part. I had y'all. She thought he was as dignified as I was. Oh, and now I remember, and you got to the that you yeah. always wore a coat and tie in the pulpit as a respect for that position. I mean, I didn't remember you think. I mean, I don't well, remember it ever coming. I'll be honest with you. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't do it. I didn't do it as a respect for the position. I did it. Because it was what was expected by man. Well, and I have to say, still, Jim will ask a church he is visiting, "How does your pastor typically dress?" dress. I will, because I don't want that to be a stumble. Oh, by the way, I don't dress like that anymore. I I preached at First Baptist Merritt Island on Sunday, and I didn't wear a tie, and we served Lord's Supper. Just like I know some of you are judging me right now, but it's okay. (laughs) That's okay. Just this verse 19 keeps jumping off the page at me. I have an underline in my Bible. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. To me, that's what it's about when Jim asks them, how does your pastor dress? He wants to lead to peace and mutual edification. He doesn't want someone in the pew to be going, well, why is he dressed like that? 
um, it helps people to hear the word. Right. And that's okay. Right. And, and so I could easily go in and fully convince in my mind that what I'm wearing is fine, and who cares what you all think, but if it's going to cause issues in the people right. in the pew on that one Sunday that I'm in this state to come preach the gospel, I want them to listen. So I will concern myself with what it is. And, and, and right. so and a lot of times I would do it because of that. I unfortunately cared too much what other people thought. Right, yeah. Too much. I don't care There's a balance people, there that I didn't have. I don't care what other people wear in church as long as they're there to worship. But then I don't want them to look badly at me because I like to dress up to go to church. Right. Because for me, that's a sign of respect. Mm-hmm. Where I am, right. but I don't want them to think. Well, and again, that's only going to happen when we get back to real biblical fellowship. Do you see the root of this here? This whole issue without real biblical fellowship is just going to turn into a well, you know, a lot of misunderstandings. misunderstandings. They're going to interpret it as well. She's uptight when they don't know you. Yeah. You mean all of Christianity can be boiled down to relationship? Oh my! <laughs> we don't have time for that. Let's go to the very, very end here and wrap this baby up. I think we, I think the Lord has helped us to see this. All right, as Becky just read in verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, Paul says, but it's wrong for men to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or to drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you do, Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Mm-hmm. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. In other words, God's going to judge you by what you say is okay. Whether or not he said it was okay. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. And oh, we can't just close quick on that. Because <laughs> this is what he just said. He's not just talking about this. This is all of your walk with the Lord. Anything not done by faith is sin. Now stick with me. That means if you're doing this in hopes that it will count, according to this verse, what have we just said? It's sin. It's sin. And it, and it mentions the word doubt there. you got to be absolutely sure. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Right, and it's like on a wave being tossed. I'm not sure I should do this. If you're not sure, what does the Bible say? You better not do it until you're sure. Now at the same time though, this is where this relationship with the Lord and recognizing His Spirit is leading and knowing the Word and living in obedience to God and what you believe, not what the Word says. That sounds like heresy, but Please hear what I'm saying. Too many of us are trying to do just what the Word says without the leadership of the Spirit of how to apply it. How will the Spirit of God have you apply the Word? I think your point there is that where you could try to say, well, I hope this will be okay, and it's something that you know really isn't. You could go the other way, too, and you could say, I'm doing this not because by faith I feel God's telling me to do it, but I'm trying to either impress God or impress others around me or whatever, and that's just as sinful because it's not done in faith. Because what we're really doing is justifying ourselves. I want to do this, so 
When it can be justification either, and it's not really a sin, or yeah. justification, and, well, I'm doing it because I know it's good. Mm. Yeah. Independent of what. Now, do you yeah, see why I'm glad Romans 14 is in the Bible? Uh, that's the trap of yeah. self. A lot here. Right. right. Yeah. Because it's all under love. Everything we should do I should be through faith and love. He just got a question. Others. And by the way, if anybody else has a question, please don't, don't leave here without asking it. Go ahead. All right. Here's my question. Struggling with the fact that in your mind you can't feel that way about everybody. No, but Jesus honestly did because he died right. for me. Right. He died okay. for you. Here, here's he died the answer. For the people who didn't even believe in you him. asked the question, and the answer is very simple. You can't do it. We can't do it. That's but my question. Because he can still do it through you if you let him. That's right. In the same way in which you came to realize I can't keep the law, and that made you ready for receiving Jesus as your Savior. After salvation, we have to still come to that same place of, I still can't live the Christian life, even though I got Jesus in me. Unless he does it, and that's a daily yielding to him. Right. You can't do it, I can't do it. You And so, how do you, how do we get saved? We believe that he would do it. How do we let him live his life through us? We believe that he will. Oh, but that's a daily, hourly, retrusting, retrusting of him. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5, Apart from me... You can do nothing. So, the fact that you feel like you can't do it is a good thing. Because none of us can. And the love that you do have for those that you would sacrifice is only because he's given it to you. You can't have that kind of love if you don't love him. It's given by him to us. Yes, I am. I'm glad I come you remember, and I've shared this a while back, but I don't remember. Do you remember back when that guy went into the Amish school and killed those children? Mm -hmm. And the way that those people responded in love? Yeah. I heard people say, I could never do that. And my answer to them was, neither could they. Yeah. Right. They, didn't. they didn't do it either. It looked like it was them, but it wasn't them, because apart from Christ giving them that grace, they couldn't do it. Amen. And so, if you can't, and it's a good thing you can't. But if there's a need to, he will give you the grace when that day comes. Until then, don't beat yourself up about whether or not you feel like you can or you can't. You can't. Mm -hmm. I can't. You can't. We can't. And that's a wonderful feeling, by the way. Freedom. It's freedom. But Jesus can and he will when 
it's necessary if it's necessary. It gives you such a thing to think that these people were down to your cross and he was loving them enough to die for them at that time. That's, that's we didn't even get into it tonight time-wise, but think about how the fact that Jesus knew all along that Judas wasn't one, mm -hmm. and Jesus reached out to him and loved the whole time. Mm -hmm. He washed his feet. Mm -hmm. He was one of the guys that got his feet washed. He was still trying to draw him. Yep. He was still trying to draw him. He wasn't rebuking him every day. He wasn't saying, you're in sin, get your life fixed. Father, again, thank you for this chance to come. And Lord, every time we, we open your word, we can't can realize we can't do this. Lord, this is, this is too big for us. And you smile and you say, good. And Lord, help us each day to, to move away from the teaching that we've had over the years of how you're sitting back waiting for us to get our lives straight or do it this way or do it that way. Lord, forgive us for trying to do things even for you and obedience to your word for you instead of just letting you do it through us. Father, we need you every day, not only for salvation, but for life. And we thank you for the fact that you have already taken care of everything we need through your death on the cross and the power of your resurrection and coming to live within us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would put us into groups of real biblical fellowship so that we could grow and, and encourage one another. And at the same time, Lord, that those that come in our path would just say, I just know why. I just like being in their presence. I feel comfortable. Lord, I think about how the people that were in sin in their lives, the prostitutes, the sinners, the tax collectors, they felt comfortable in your presence. You never condoned what they did, and you helped them give their lives to you, and you made the changes necessary, but you they felt comfortable in your presence. Lord, forgive us for the fact that the church today is seen as judgmental and condemning, and that people feel like they have to get clean to be able to come to church. Father, in the time that we have left before you come get us, may you, by your power, manifest to us, love the world around us, and love the church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.